Welcome back to the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. Major shout out to our sponsor for this episode. That's right, Breeze Eastern. Thank you guys so much for everything you're doing for us. And in this episode, we are joined by a friend of mine who I met in Humboldt Bay, California. He's a pilot with the United States Coast Guard, and he's got some pretty cool stories that come from Hawaii and then North Bend and now in Alaska, where he's currently stationed. So please welcome our next guest, Mr. Will Johnson. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Real Rescue. Today, I've got another United States Coast Guard pilot with me. He's got some epic stories coming to us from, let's see, you were in Hawaii, you were in North Bend, you're up in Alaska now. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Will Johnson. What's up, dude? Hey, How Jason. are you? Doing great, buddy. How about yourself? Man, I'm fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me. I'm looking forward to hearing your stories. Uh, it's kind of cool. You and I hung out together in Humboldt Bay, California. That's where you and I yeah, met. Yeah, man. Way back like in the day. Forever ago. I almost think you were in 2003. Yeah, it was Ensign Johnson. Jeez, Butterbar. Did I call you a Butterbar at the time? Probably. Probably not. <laughs> no, probably not. Come on. <laughs> man, God, that does seem like forever ago, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, man. I was just trying to think the other day. I'm like, man, who else were we with? Like, there are so many folks that I remember from back then. And it, it was such a good place to be. Yeah, we had a we had a we had a fun time. It was definitely oh, yeah. an adventure being there. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, <laughs> it's humble. So, it's always going to be going to be a little weird, but pretty awesome. Right. You know, I you know what? I'm on board with that. Yeah, a little weird. Yeah. That's a good way to describe Humboldt Bay. Like, oh, yeah, it's a little weird, but it's there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, I'll tell you what, Will, if you don't mind, bring us into a little bit of you, a little background about you, how you got into search and rescue, U.S. Coast Guard, and pilot. Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Uh, so little Will Johnson, back in like junior high, um, wanted to hang out at the fire station. And I grew up in like an incredibly small town in Central Valley in California. Um, and there was a little tiny firehouse as a volunteer firehouse there at the bottom of the hill that the school was at. My mom was a teacher at the school. So it's small town. Everybody knows each other. And I ended up finding out uh, one of the guys that we knew worked down there and was cool with me hanging out and showing me the firehouse and stuff. And yeah, 12 years old, I started hanging out down at the firehouse and swept the floors and helped clean the counters and stuff just to like justify why is this weird 12 year old kid hanging out down here. But it was it was awesome because they got to go out and put out fires and do rescues and stuff. And that just seems so cool to me. So I did that until I was old enough to become an explorer. We like the, the Boy Scouts of America program where they have explorer posts that are associated with fire departments or police stations and stuff. So I did the explorer program for a few years all the way through high school. And then when I got old enough, 17, I became a volunteer firefighter and actually like really trusted you to give you gear and training and stuff like that. So I started doing all that for years um, and then branched out into other EMS and 911 fields and got my EMT and stuff. But the whole time we always worked with air ambulances. So Metaflight, which is a agency that was in the Central Valley in California, was one of the helicopters that we worked with quite a bit. And every time we worked with them, I was like, man, that, that seems really cool. Like flying helicopters just 
that seems awesome. So nice. talking to a bunch of a bunch of the pilots that actually worked for Moda Flight, I eventually got a job working for them as a dispatcher and stuff and got to know a whole bunch of them. And they they were all awesome, really helped me get my career going. But talk to them about what the options are. The options kind of came down to either A, I strike it rich and somehow fund my own flight training, which super wasn't happening, or B, <laughs> go in the military somehow. So military seemed like the more likely option. And the Coast Guard was the service that seemed to have a purpose, a, a mission set that was most applicable to the things I was already interested in. So 911 response, first responder stuff, rescues and stuff like that was the Coast Guard's jam. So I, uh, I put in for the Coast Guard Academy. I did not get picked up. I got put on like the alternate list. So I went to junior college for a year after high school. I put in for the Academy again. I did not get picked up a second time. So I went to junior college again, and then a third time to apply comes around, but I call the academy and the admissions office. I'm like, hey, if I put in for the academy a third time and get picked up, do I still have to do four years? They're like, oh, yeah, it's a four-year program. I'm like, you know who's not doing seven years of college is this guy. <laughs> so I blew off the academy, finished off college Gosh. on my own, and then uh, I got a degree in English, actually. So that's super relevant to aviation, I'll say. <laughs> and put in for Coast Guard Officer Candidate School and got picked up, fortunately, the first time, which was super lucky because I know a lot of folks, it takes them one or two tries to get picked up, but got picked up, went to OCS, put in for flight school, didn't get it, got sent to Humboldt instead to be an ensign out there at an air station. And I'm pretty sure it was a hookup because a lot of folks in our class that wanted flight school but didn't get it got sent to aviation units where, surprise, surprise, within 12 to 18 months, they eventually got picked up. So I think they just nice. put me out there like, Cool my heels and get a good recommendation from an aviation 06 captain. And then I got picked up for flight school. So that's kind of the, the progression there from guy that just likes emergency vehicles to guy that gets to actually fly a helicopter and go pick folks up. So it worked out pretty well. Oh, that's awesome. Uh you yeah. know what? I want to I want to actually shout out to one your first fire chief. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So your yeah. first fire chief, you you actually sent me this and it's really cool because the the area that you're growing up in, uh, there's a couple of newspaper articles and I'm, I'm going to have them up right next to me here just so people can see it. But he was in the newspaper, a couple of newspapers, and he ended up helping save a boy's life. Uh, and the news article says, so boy lives after 90 minutes submerged in the Stanislaus. Stanislaus. Yep. Stanislaus. Stanislaus. Yeah. They don't make it easy to say. No. So the Stanislaus River. But the kid, yep. a two-year-old boy, was found, uh, was brought back from brink of death Thursday after spent after he spent nearly ninety minutes submerged in the Stanislaus River. Did I say yep. that right? The San okay. Uh, yep. Uh, I mean, and this is your fire chief in the like on all the pictures of all the the newspaper clippings, and you had this hanging up. So he was a bit of an inspiration for you to to follow the route of search and rescue. Absolutely. Yeah. His, so his name's Tim Hubble. Um, he was a Vietnam veteran. And then he was our volunteer fire chief at the firehouse that I worked at when I was a kid. And in the day room, which is like the, the hangout room, the, the meal table and everything's in there. In the day room, there's a bunch of articles and plaques and stuff on the wall. But one of them in particular that I always remember to this day was the picture from this article. And there's actually two pictures that were taken by the local newspaper photographer that were side by side. And they were taken probably within like 15 seconds of each other. The first picture is Captain, or, uh, Chief Hubble with this two-year-old kid that they just found in the river laying across his arm, limp, and he's giving him mouth-to-mouth. -mouth. And then the second picture is him 
charging up the riverbank, looking up with the kid still in his arms, running to the ambulance. And I just remember as a kid, always seeing those pictures there on the on the wall and thinking, like, dude, that that epitomizes heroic attitude. Like that that is heroism incarnate. And I just always loved that not only I got I gotta look at a cool picture, but work with that guy. Um by luck, coincidence, whatever. Captain or Chief Hubble, I keep saying Captain. Ch Chief Hubble was a reserve MST in the Coast Guard. And I remember being little and like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Little kind of stuff. And I'd tell him, like, oh, I want to play helicopters, I think. And he's like, you know, Coast Guard's got helicopters. And I'm like, who, what now? Because living in the Central Valley in California, you didn't like run across a lot of Coast Guard stuff. But yeah. I think he might have been one of the, the first introductions to the existence of the Coast Guard and kind of telling me about how it is, how they're pilot program works and stuff like that and he kind of got me put in that direction so uh, a lot of a lot of where i am today i owe to tim hubble so tim if you're out there thanks buddy oh that's so cool i i, I like yeah. that because there's there's that inspiration side of things that and one of the cool parts about it is you never know where either a you're gonna be an inspiration for somebody or that you're looking up as somebody as an inspiration and you're like wow i would love to be able to do that just like you Absolutely, man. It's like cool. the the things that I think I've I've warmed my heart with the most out of my job are never the things that you're like working on a project for six months and like it, it's none of that kind of stuff. And it's 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 not even often like I'm planning on going and flying this flight to go do this certain thing. It's this happenstance. You happen to say a thing to somebody, or you happen to be the pilot that was flying into like an elementary school for a static display or something like that. And those are the things that I think we unknowingly have perhaps the biggest impact on people's lives with. So yeah. I, I like just making myself available to those as much as possible. I, I I love doing all the public outreach and stuff like that, because I think those are the things that actually make differences in lives just as much, or if not more sometimes in the rescues and the, the saving lives kind of part of it. So yeah, I, I, I love those kind of stories too, man. Dude, that's awesome, man. So you're already being an inspiration for so many kids to be a pilot. I mean that. I, I like oh, so. I, I like it. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're going to inspire your kids one day. I, yes! if I can inspire him to get out of bed on time that'll that'll set the that'll set the stage well yeah it only takes about 24 years i'm just gonna throw that out there because <laughs> that's where my oldest is at she's yeah. on time to work every day so we did something right <laughs> that's good I, i've only got a couple decades to go then that's good to hear yeah you're good you're good <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh hey i want to throw one more thing out there because you uh you talked about yeah. it a little bit and that is that you applied to the coast guard academy and didn't get it twice did not yeah then you applied to flight school and didn't get it hey yeah. uh by the way you're a pilot in the u.s coast guard officer at that so for everybody out there that says ah oh, I, I failed it didn't work the first time yeah try again oh it didn't work the second time yeah there, there's another avenue to go about doing what you want to do you just got to have the drive and motivation to go get it hoorah absolutely Exactly, man. That And that's it. There, so many of my peers that I worked with, good friends in flight school and everything, they had to put in for it multiple times. And that is, and to this day remains my advice to folks that are talking about getting picked up for a specialty program or putting in for OCS or applying for the academy or applying for flight school. It's always, unless there is a hard, fast, sorry, you can't be a pilot because you only have one arm kind of a deal, like keep putting in for it. Like, unless there's some just glaring reason that like, all right, this hurdle, we just can't get around because law or because physics or something just stick to it and 
try to find a way in through perseverance because it legit works and I've seen it work for a lot of my friends and it, and me. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I I really like that because it's it just shows the motivation and the avenues to get there. There's not always one avenue to get to your goal. There are four or five. Exactly. Go that way. So yep. That's awesome, Will. All right. Yeah. So you know I gotta ask the first rescue uh that you remember. What do you yeah, got? Absolutely. All right, man. Uh first rescue I remember. So the first after flight school, the first unit I went to was Barbers Point, Hawaii which is on the southwest corner of Oahu. Funny side story. I put it third on my dream sheet coming out of flight school and they call and they're like, hey, congrats, you got Hawaii. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Really what I get like Detroit. And they're like, no, seriously, Hawaii. I'm like, I legit don't even know what island the air station is on. I, I put it on there as like a total throwaway option because I just figured it was nothing. So I had to look into it and find out like, oh, Oahu. That's that's a good place that I probably should know about because I'm going to be living there. So anyway, Barbara's Point, air station on the southwest corner of Oahu. It covers the entire Hawaiian island chain. And it's it's an amazing place. I mean, you get to go fly around an island that is beautiful, that other people pay hundreds of dollars to fly in a helicopter for 20 minutes at, and you fly in so often that you have to remind yourself, quit being bored. It's still freaking Hawaii out the window, man. So it's it's an amazing <laughs> place. <laughs> oh, that's um, funny. It's a great place to, to be a nugget, a brand new pilot as well, because the weather is excellent, like 95% of the time. So um me and a couple of the other co-pilots that got stationed up there at the same time we all got just the best training we could based on weather based on the huge cadre of awesome pilots we had teaching us and so we all progressed pretty quickly um it's a four-year tour at most units you go to as a junior officer the first two years are spent progressing from co-pilot up to aircraft commander so along that time you're still responding on search and rescue cases but I can't remember the first first one as a co-pilot. That's the bummer, Like, which makes me think it must have been something super benign or something. Instead, what I remember is um, once I progressed from co-pilot to first pilot to aircraft commander, my first SAR case as the, the pilot in command, like the, the person in charge who's ostensibly supposed to know what he's doing, we, we get launched out with, uh, with the executive officer of the unit, um, Tom Nelson. And Commander Nelson is... The definition of a stereotype 05, which I am super fine with saying now because that's that's me now. I'm, I'm now the old commander that forgets 95% of how things work. So we hop in the helicopter. It's for like a red flare off the north shore of Oahu or something. The sun is sun's down, but there's like lots of starlight because it's clear sky and we got goggles and stuff. So it's nothing about this is like scary or anything. So it's it's pretty cut and dry. We hop in the helicopter, we launch, sector calls us on the radio to give us the search pattern, and I'm flying and I ask. Commander Nelson, like, hey, do you mind throwing the uh, the first point for the search pattern into our computer, our, our, our CDU? It's, it's it's the navigation system for the aircraft. He's like, uh, yeah, sure. And I see him, if he's over in the left seat, he leaning down, he starts punching some buttons and pausing, punches another button and pauses. He's like, hey, uh, what what page am I supposed to be on to get that? And I was like, oh, hold on. So I, I look down, I fumble the page to him. Oh, thanks, thanks. All right. Sector gives the rest of the information for the search pattern. He's like, you want me to go ahead and put that in too? Like, yeah, put put the whole pattern in. Okay. Uh, so how do I do that? Again? It's like, you know what? How about you take the controls and I'll, I'll go and do this. So he could fly and he could fly freaking great. And the, but it was just like all other O5s. They kind of get sketchy on the details for some of the system stuff and the CDU. So that, that's the thing I remember most about my first search for a SAR case as a PIC was remembering that my job is to manage the aircraft which can at times include who's doing what so that you're having the right folks work on the right task at the time. Captain or Commander Nelson, 
can fly the helicopter to Kingdom Come. Probably not finding all the pages in the in the in the sub menus and stuff the way you need them to, but that, that's what I'm for. So it, it worked out pretty well. You know, if you had gone through a check ride, you probably would have passed. I'm just gonna throw that out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just... <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Hey, the higher you go, the less you fly. I get it. I get it. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And and I'll, man, I'll tell you what, I I have flown every variant of the 65 the coast guards have there have been six of them so the 65 alpha bravo charlie there are two different charlies delta and now we're on the echo you just wow. ingrain in your memory the first thing you're taught so when i first flew in humboldt just like for for orientation flights and stuff they were still flying the alpha and then when i went to flight school and learned how to fly the 65 i came out as a bravo pilot and literally the day i graduated my transition course they said Hey, you know what? Everything we just taught you, forget it. Because while you've been here in Mobile getting taught, your unit switched to Charlie's. So we're going to put you through a one-week crash course on how the Charlie works. It's entirely new engines, entirely new display systems, all the limits and numbers that you just memorized, chuck them. But that's all still in my head. So as <laughs> oh, as the oh. old guy now, I 100% know where he's coming from, where it's just you're staring at a thing because not because you're an idiot, but because you remember when this used to be a different computer and it had different buttons on it. And now you're like, I don't remember which menu I go in. Now that's me when I fly in, the, especially like if I fly in the Echo, I'm just like, oh, this is all so cool and high speed and glass cockpit and everything. I have no clue where anything is anymore. <laughs> like they even moved the landing gear handle. Like who does that? Like just trying to make me look stupid, I think. <laughs> So, oh so I, very, I I feel them now. Like I, I at the time, I'm just like oh, old people, man. What are you gonna do? But now I'm like, oh, now I get it. It all makes sense. Oh, that's great. Does that mean when you step into the helicopter, you look at the new guy and be like, listen, I know how to fly this thing, okay? You just gotta give me a little minute or two to find a button, okay? That's all I'm asking. I, I don't say it out loud, but they know. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. They might give you the look like, mm, exactly. I didn't yeah. have you, sir. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's funny. All yeah. right. I'm going to go to another one because you had another cool case after that, which was, uh, I ended up being a couple people in the water and you had like literally five minutes on scene. What was yeah. that? Yeah. So that was another one out of Hawaii. Um, the, the islands are spread out a bunch, obviously. Um, if, if you've not been to Hawaii, you you may not realize that they look close together on the map, but that's really not how close they may be in reality. So for us to get from Oahu, which is not the middle, it's kind of the north half, I guess, of the island chain, from there to the big island, also called Hawaii, it's a 45 to hour and 15 minute flight, depending on which part of the big island you're trying to get down to. So we had a search and rescue case off the southeast side of the Big Island, which, if my memory serves, is the side that the city of Hilo was on, H-I-L-O. And we had to fly all the way down there. And there's there's fuel in the city, but you got to go fly past the city, get to the search and rescue site, search, ideally find, and then rescue, and then go back in to get more gas. The time to get all the way down there leaves you 10 minutes hops in order to get back to get gas so that you can then come back out on a shorter trip and then do your actual search so the first thing that you plan to do down there is like the super hasty search and hopefully find the thing before you head back for gas but 
more often than not, you're just going down there. I didn't see anything. You go get gas and you come back out and do the full ladder search pattern. Well, in this case, we got lost out there and it was like one of the rare days in Hawaii where the weather actually sucked. It was it was really low ceilings, probably, I don't know, four or 500 foot ceilings, I think. The visibility was low because of rain. So once we got down to the search area, it was actually hard, which again, Hawaii was unusual. Usually you just go out there and the stars are lighting everything up. We got goggles, everything's great. We're under goggles. It's I don't know the time. It was it was eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock. It was late, and it's dark, overcast. There's no no cultural lighting at all. If if anybody out there has never played with night vision goggles or seen video of it, the the lighting from cities helps to illuminate a lot of stuff around, even if it's cloudy, because the light will bounce off clouds. Well, out in that part of Hawaii, you're way far away from any cities or houses or any street lights, that kind of a deal. So it's just black. It, it was dark. So we got out there and we're looking for a overturned fishing vessel that had three people on it. And we know that there's the local um, Hawaii County fireboat, I think is looking for it. And they're in the water somewhere. I think we had comms with the fireboat, but we couldn't see them because it was just so crappy biz. So they told us, hey, we're searching down this part. So we're like, all right, well, we've only got like 10 minutes. So we're just going to quick search this part here. And then we're going to head back, get some gas, and we'll come back out there. I'm like, roger that. So we're just doing a real quick hasty search, which was to the last point that sector, the, the Coast Guard's command center, thought they were going to be. And as we're trucking down there, I'm sitting in the left seat, and uh, Jamie McGinnity is my co-pilot in the right seat. Um, we fly over a thing in the water, and he's like, hey, guy. Oh, never mind. We're like, hey, dude. What's up? What'd you see? It's like, nah, I, I, I don't think it was anything. I'm like, well, describe it. Like, what, what do you think it was? He's like, I think it was probably a buoy, but I'm not 100% sure. I'm like, well, dude, is it is it like you're sure, sure it was just a buoy? Or maybe we should go back and look. It's like, ah, I guess I should go back and take a quick look. Like, all right, man, we'll do that. So we're on autopilot. We spin in to come back around 180 degrees and kind of come back. And as we're coming close to the same spot, we'd like marked it in the computer. So we're trying to go back to where we marked it. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, there it is. And sure enough, it's a white overturned hull floating in the water. We're like, well, it's not the buoy. It's the boat probably we're looking for. Good oh job. Oh my gosh. So we do all the briefs. Like there's a lot of briefs flying helicopters, like landing checklist and telling everybody what kind of approach down to the water you're going to do and stuff. So we do the, the approach brief. We get down to the water and sure enough, clinging to the side of the boat are the three guys that we're looking for. We're like, oh man, this is awesome. Except for the fact that we've only got like eight minutes of gas left. And I remember our flight mech was a, a guy named Ben. I wish for the life of me I could remember Ben's last name right now, but Ben's our flight mech. And Ben's like, nah, dude, we got this. I'm like, Ben, you think you can hoist three dudes in, in five minutes? He's like, yep, let's do it. I'm like, all right, rescue check part two. Oh so my God, dude. He grabs Sick. the basket. Yeah, we've got a swimmer in the back. He's just like, get out of the way. I got to get this basket. We didn't even put the swimmer <laughs> down because we wouldn't have had time to do the extra hoist to put the swimmer down and back up. So just basket down to the guy. They were fortunately like super helpful. Like it wasn't the classic, like, why did they put this basket in front of me? It was like, I'm going to yeah. get this, get in it right away. So basket's in, boom, the guy's up. It's, I don't know how he did it so fast, just getting the guy out of the basket. So it's like basket's the cabin, get the guy out, basket's out the door again, next hoist, and just boom, boom, boom. We nail them all out. Like bingo starts flashing on the computer. Bingo's like, hey, dumbass, you're about to run out of gas. So computer's telling us like, hey, time to go. We're like, all right, I'll finish this hoist up. He finishes getting the last guy in there. We still had like 250 pounds left. Like 200 is our dead, like absolute bingo. And we're at like 250. So we've got like easily a minute. Like it's not a big deal. So he gets them in. 
Um, the swimmer grabs some blankets, starts throwing them on him. We finish the rest of our checklist to finish the hoist and start transitioning back to flight. We get up, we fly back to the airport, land at Hilo, drop him off in the ambulance. And it was just like, man, like you you couldn't have planned this to go better. I, I so wow. Yeah. You know, uh, got a I think I think we got an award for that, mostly because Jamie got the award for like eagle eye style, like got a letter of accommodation for spotting the dang thing, because we talked about all these sensors and EPIRBs and all these cool technology and stuff, but man. If, if you can't be visible, you're not going to get seen. And he had the freaking eyes to catch those guys. So it, it worked out really well in their favor. That is awesome. Yeah, it was Eight a good time. minutes. Can you hoist three dudes in five minutes? Yeah. That's, like, that's yeah, no, impressive. Sorry. That's yeah. really, really impressive. <laughs> out of curiosity with you, it, like holding a hover, did you get over the top of the vessel and just stay there? So he just hoist yeah. in, hoist out, hoist in, hoist out? Yeah, it, it was, yeah, there wasn't any like, all right, you're clear back and left stuff. He's like, now we're just gonna stay here. So it was just boom, 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 super oh, fast. Perfect. Yeah. Nice. And, and it was one of those weird kind of like, again, just coincidence paid off for us. Had that case been like five minutes from the air stay and we found him in the first five minutes, I would have had to like mark position, go off, dump gas somewhere because the, the 65 isn't like hefty. So right. it would have been over torquing the crap out of it or overweighting actually uh, the aircraft if we'd have had a full bag of gas. So us being almost out of gas is the reason we were able to take three two 250 pound dudes up at the same time and not worry about overgrossing the aircraft so oh, it all worked oh, out man all worked wow out. what a yeah. trip man oh that's awesome one. well yeah. done to you and the crew i'm yeah, sorry thanks, you didn't get it, to use all... your swimmer I'm just gonna throw well he was bumped i will say though he did get an award as well and it was fun writing it because it was one of those like well the rest of the team's getting an award so you're going to put the whole team in for an award all right so he got an loc for handing out blankets oh Excellent. buddy yeah exactly <laughs> thanks for thinking of them man that's awesome yeah you know what for the record i have been in the back of the aircraft where i did not go down and just the basket went down or just the pump went down and i didn't do anything i was just i was there yeah. for moral support you guys do a great job yeah, well, it. I mean, you're you're there because a we might need to put you out the door, but b yep. you're part of the crew. You're still you're a set of eyes looking out the window. You're making sure that we're not on the wrong page. And hey, I thought he said you're going to stop at 200 feet. Why am I looking at wave tops here? What's that like? You're 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 still you're still useful, man. Yeah, still it's good, it's good. Yeah, but it's not okay. I like I like the idea of this because it's it's not always a necessity. It's a tool in the toolbox, right? Exactly. You don't. Yep. If you can do it just the same with. I, I imagine if you had been in Alaska right, or or super cold water, the good guys are probably yeah. hypothermic and can't get yeah. into a basket or maybe they're injured. And they couldn't get into the basket. Now it's yeah. a different scenario, but exactly, yeah, guys, that, okay. Overturn vote. Yeah. Let me just jump in the basket. You're good to go. And then once they get up to me in the aircraft, well, now I can medically treat them, but yeah, not going to, yeah. Nice. Yeah. And being able to make that decision is not, not only a big step for the, the pilot in command, because like you said, it's which, which tool is appropriate for this rescue. But right. I think a lot for first tour rescue swimmers, like you can definitely tell the difference in experience and maturity of a rescue swimmer based on how eager they are to jump out of the aircraft. Like ASP3 <laughs> Gublots just graduated A school, man. Like there could be like a bird in the water. He's like, put me in. I might need that, that thing might not be able to fly. I'll jump down there. I'll check there. Like, dude, no, nah, like, no, nah, we're good. We, we don't need you on this one, man. But oh you get like God, a second or a first class that's got a couple tours under the belt. Like they know what's up. And they're able to say like, nah, you know what? 
baskets quicker in this case and that makes more sense and they're cool with it so that, that was always an entertaining thing is flying with like the thirds that are just like let me out there put me in coach put me in you're like easy back man but your time's kept oh my god that's so funny i like that <laughs> why you know why i like that because i've been on both sides <laughs> exactly like, yeah come on man put me in yeah. coach i'm ready to go <laughs> yeah oh gosh all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring one. You sent me a news article. This is uh this is pretty cool. And and I say it's pretty cool because everything everything worked out, but you responded to an F-15 jet crash. And the news article, this is out of the Star Bulletin. And so here I, just a couple of little quotes out of it, but F-15 jet crashes into the Sea of Oahu. National Guard pilot is safe after he ejected and parachuted uh, parachutes into the water, into the rolling water, because there are actually pretty yes. big waves. So the fighter jet, which had been returned to service just three weeks ago on a routine training mission at about 1.37 p.m. when the pilot lost control of the plane and ejected. The Coast Guard team rescued the pilot at 2.15 p.m. That's actually a great response time. I'm just going to throw that out there. So well done. We were pretty that. fast. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> incredible. That's crazy fast. That's awesome. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of turning and burning with the whole like it's one of ours kind of a deal. Oh, right on. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, later in the article, uh, you're actually quoted here, but um, I get down to it. So the Coast Guard rescue swimmer hoisted the pilot aboard the helicopter at about 2:15 p.m. yesterday, about 60 miles south of Honolulu Airport and flew him in good condition to Queens Medical Center for observation, authorities said. Helicopter pilot Lieutenant Will Johnson said two other F-15 pilots maintained contact with the downed pilot, reported he was in the water but uninjured and assisted in locating him. There was no sign of the jet, but they found the bright green dye marker. The pilot left. Uh, rescue swimmer Petty Officer Dave Byrne jumped into about 15 feet from the helicopter into 10 to 12 foot swells. Freaking awesome. Uh, and he and he was quoted as saying he was already sitting in the life raft just waiting for us to pick him up. And then later on, you actually are quoted here. It's definitely a good day when you can bail out of a plane and walk away. My yeah, gosh, Will. Sure. Yeah. Dude, that's freaking awesome. All right. It was a good so, time, man. What uh I mean you all right, so 137 the aircraft yep. goes in. You're picking yep. him up at 215. Yeah, oh my you don't want to get cold, man. You gotta be fast because otherwise you're gonna get like super you, your fingers get those lines in it, like when you're in the bathtub too long. Nobody wants that. You gotta be fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, man, we, we were on duty and uh the, the alarm went off real quick for the fighter jet being in the water and like with with limited exception i have not seen anybody hustle that much than our crew because again it's like it's you're, you're looking for one of yours you're it's a fellow military service member pilot no no longer flying so much as swimming and that's not a position anybody wants to be in so we definitely put the spurs to it to get out there um louis parks um now captain retired parks is uh the, the pic on that and he and i flew out and it was it was a fast launch uh, our normal 30 minute expectation for launch like we we probably did it in 15 or something like that and then trucked all the way offshore to find him out there like it says there um there were two other f-15s 
covering them up at altitude. Um, we had comms with one of them, but we could not talk to the guy in the water. Um, his, his call sign was Frenchy. Frenchy was the guy in the water that we picked up, but we couldn't ever hear him. The F-15, like we could hear half the conversation the whole time. And we'd have to just ask them like, hey, what do you say? Kind of a deal. But they knew exactly like he's he's in this general vicinity. Here's a Latin long, go out and find him. So we trucked out there and got on scene super fast, like I said. Again, like the article mentions, didn't see any part of the plane left. Like it, it's straight up sunk. And I looked in a couple of subsequent articles later about like, hey, what happened with the accident? And I never recovered it. Like it's at the bottom of a two mile deep ocean. So it's, it's Whoa, still there. Wow. Yeah. But what we did see was that dimifer. And I tell you what, man, you can see that crap from space. Like if you're <laughs> if you're ever packing your like maritime search and rescue kit and you don't have a sea dye marker in there, Man, super worth it. It's yay big. It's just a bunch of crunched up powder. It's like, it's like green Kool-Aid, except like way more potent. Probably doesn't taste as good, so don't drink it. But you can see that stuff from miles away. So he had, he'd activated that at some point sort of recently because, again, with the swells and everything, you don't want to like burst it right away. And then 50 minutes later, it's all dissipated. So he yeah. must have just popped it. We can super see it. We're like, oh, there he is. All right, cool. Let's do our uh, approach down to the water and set up for some hoisting. And just like textbook like hey what kind of what kind of deployment do you want to do with a rescue swimmer like you want to do direct like ah direct might not be good because i got those parachutes thing to worry about like oh yeah just i remember that now that i said so we went ahead and just uh deployed them like uh i think we did a free fall because why not pop gun so free fall down cool the water. Shit. yeah exactly yeah and i remember hovering there to do the free fall and it reeked of jet fuel like you you couldn't see the plane, but you could definitely tell one had been there because the whole surface of the water was all covered in jet fuel. So swimmer goes into the water, swims up to the guy, grabs him. He's wearing his uh, ejection accoutrement, which includes this uh, the horseshoe collar inflatable vest, but he's already yep. taken that off. His helmet's off. Like he's been out there just like super just chilling. Later on, we like asked him, like, hey, what's up? How come you took the vest off? He's like, I didn't need it to float and it wasn't very comfortable. Like he was super fine, like not <laughs> not not physically injured, but he was just waiting to get picked up. So lowered the hook back down to them, picked him up, and dude, Frenchie was a hefty boy. Like if he didn't weigh 280 soaking wet, like I would be surprised. Because it was very much like you're sitting in the helicopter, prepare to take the load, taking the load. And you're like, oh, yep, there he is. So got him in the door, picked up the swimmer. Flew back to Queens Medical Center, which is uh, the trauma center in Hawaii, um, and it sits just southwest of a crater um, in, in in Honolulu area. And this crater is super awesome for orographic turbulence or, or the wind turbulence. So you have to land on this helipad on top of the roof of the hospital, and it's a donut-shaped hospital too, which is super weird. So it's probably 12 stories tall, but round with a big hole through the middle of the whole thing. And the helipad's on one edge of it. And it's just below this crater. So we come in, we land, a big sweat on the landing. Rich gets kicked out. Like I, I took my patch off and gave him the patch or whatever. And he thought it was pretty cool. So we like high five and he walks out like, ah, oh, man, we're all awesome. We saved lives. Yeah, all right, cool. Let's go back home. Right, sweet. Look, take off checks. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. All right, let's get out of here. And we pull up in a hover. And right after we pull up, the gust off the freaking crater comes and we just like start Spinning all over, like not spinning, but like yawing all over the place. We're like, what the hell? We totally forgot to turn the AFCS back on. So we were doing an AFCS off takeoff. Oh my over, God. Over a hospital that has a big hole through the middle. Cause right after you take off, you move over the hole and lose all your, your ETL or sorry, all your ground effect. 
but you're not through ETL. Yeah, so it was it was a super sketchy takeoff. Handily, the scariest part of the entire rescue was just the departure from the hospital. But we got away. We're like, oh, whoops, click, turn those back on. Everything's hunky dory now. Do do, made it back home. And everything was great. Yeah. So dude, that is hilarious. Yeah. So <laughs> I got a good oh. uh, lesson there on uh once everything's done and there's no big hurry slowly use your checklist calmly go through things like oh yeah okay we didn't even be so fast good to know <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh dude i love it good i times. love it yeah my gosh i freaking love that i love that um good good side note too yeah afcs yeah afcs yeah, yeah shut those yeah, off afcs yep yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah no no yeah. you leave them on they're, they're, they're oh, way more leave them on. On yeah. Off. yeah 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 Oh gosh, I can totally see that. That's freaking hilarious, man. Dude, by chance, did you get his patch, or did the so swimmer pull his cool patch? Thing, not there, but they invited us to like this uh, "Yay, he lived" party they had at their squadron like a week and a half later, and it was super oh, like. So these awesome. are National Guard pilots, so they're all a bunch of local Hawaiian folks, and like the 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 family environment was huge. Like you go down and they had a big barbecue for the crew and they invited us and it was just all like clue of pork and just all kinds of stuff and everybody's whole families were there and so we got to like high five Frenchie the the guy that we picked up and meet his wife and stuff and it was it was really cool like they gave us oh, coins cool. and everything yeah oh very cool very cool yeah yeah it was good. Man, that's good yeah rumor has it that if you pick up a, a down pilot they owe you a bottle or something like the whole crew I'm just gonna throw that uh, out there yeah yeah well they they definitely paid up in beer too so. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic yeah well this is freaking great um before i leave out of hawaii is there anything else that stands out to you in hawaii you want to talk about uh another good lesson learned opportunity um Ooh, i like it same same pilot actually in louis parks um i made him validate his sgli probably one day we were doing some hoist training down in Maui. So Oahu is middle-ish, we said before. So Maui's down to the southeast of Oahu. So there's a boat station on the south side of Maui that has Coast Guard boats that we went down and practiced with once or twice a week. So flew down to Maui. We're doing some swimmer hoists. And it was some evolution where we needed to have two swimmers. They needed a simulated survivor and then the swimmer to use the, the actual swimmer stuff. So we had a crew of five. Um, we were in the middle of, or we had just finished dropping off the, the simulated survivor, the first swimmer. So we had the second swimmer, the flight mech in the back, and then I'm up the front and the left and Louie's in the right seat. And the flight mech says, hey, looks like there's hydraulic fluid pouring out of the overhead here. I'm like, oh, that's, that's not good. So I oh, look up geez. at the dashboard and I see on our, our caution warning panel, there's a servo jam light, which is a hydraulic malfunction light. But that's it. Just that one so far. Like, all right, well, I just got the one servo jam here. Louis in the right seat, still actively hoisting. So being the helpful co-pilot I am, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll break out the emergency book for this because you guys are busy hoisting. And I reach back up because the flight mech used to keep the red book up above where the co-pilot's head is. So I reach up there. I grab it. I flip to the servo jam in the emergency. I start reading through a couple of steps and look up again. And at this point, so much hydraulic fluids bled out that more lights are coming on. Ooh. So without there's there's two hydraulic systems in the H65, the primary and secondary. In my mind, we're in the middle of a hoist, hydraulic fluids coming out from overhead, 
this must be the system that has the hoist on it. So I default to, oh, this is going to be a secondary hydraulic system failure. Blah, 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 blah. I go through the checklist for that. And one step of that is to secure the valve that controls hydraulic fluid going to the tail rotor servo. <laughs> I secured the valve, but I didn't realize I had done the wrong EP. So I turned off the only working hydraulic system at that point that was allowing the pedals to work for the tail rotor. Oh. At the time that I threw the switch, they had just finished bringing the hoist cable all the way back up. And Louis says, the pedals are frozen. And I just thought, well, that doesn't make any sense because this is a redundant system. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what's up, but I can't move the pedals. So we're, we're transitioning. So he transitions to forward flight, gets us to forward flight. And I think because we were in a hover, we were already and, and had a bunch of people on board. We were already pulling pretty high on the power. So that yeah. power setting equated to an, a, a workable position for where the pedals got stuck at. So now we're in forward flight. The pedals still don't work. Um, the H65 has this giant vertical fin in the back that's 35 square feet of aerodynamics for you. So we're we're flying and keeping the right direction and everything because there's a huge fin helping us out. We call Maui approach. We declare an emergency. We tell them what we've got going on. They're like, hey, whatever runway you need. So we take the main runway. We do a low pass to do a, a, a practice run to see what airspeed we need to have to keep alignment with the runway because... When your tail doesn't work, if you slow down too much, the nose is going to start yawing one way. If you speed up too much the other way, it's going to yaw the other. So it's this balancing act of where you want the nose to go. So Louis flies it, does a practice, finds our airspeeds about 65 knots. 60 knots ground speed is the maximum speed you're supposed to land at with because of wheel damage concerns. But in this case, that all goes out the window because you just don't want to die. So you need to land somewhere. So he goes back around, sets us up for like a perfect freaking tail rotor landing. We practice these all the time, but they don't ever happen. Like like prior to this, I think only once ever had this happen before. So we're for real doing it now. We come down, we land on the runway, let the collective out slowly. Also, I didn't mention earlier, there are no brakes anymore because that was the same hydraulic system I secured. So oh, no. the main runway at Maui International is kind of bow shaped. So it it goes up towards the end a little bit. So aerodynamic braking and gravity and slowly we come to a stop. We're like, oh, thank God. Like, all right, let's turn everything off. So we turn off the helicopter. We physically push the helicopter off the runway because we, we couldn't taxi anywhere because there's no brakes left. And the whole time there's like a, a snail trail of hydraulic fluid blade off the side. So we get it off the runway and fire trucks go on and everything like that. We tell them, hey, we're good, we're good. And then we're like, oh man, we just we just did a tail rotor landing, man. Like nobody does that. Like, but we did it. We're awesome. Woo, high fives and stuff. And everybody's like, but I don't understand what happened. I'm like, yeah, dude, I don't either. It's so weird. And they're like, yeah, well, what'd you see up front? I was like, well, I got the lights and then I saw the primary hydraulic system. So I went ahead and did that. And like at that point, it clicked in my head, like, hey, guys, that was my fault. And they're like, what? I'm like, I I, I did the wrong emergency procedure. Like I, I I did the secondary and it should have been the primary. And they're like, oh, that's super cool. I legit thought I was going to die. Uh, Lejewski, our swimmers, like, I thought I was going to die. I'm like, I'm so sorry, man. Louis, like, I never thought I'd see my wife again. I'm like, oh, my God. I feel so oh, bad. my God. Yeah. It, it, I went from feeling like king of the world to like this big in, in two seconds. It, it was it was atrocious. So <laughs> we all survived. We, we ended up having to like leave the plane there for a couple of days and see when 38 bunch of parts out and get it fixed and stuff. But, uh, my punishment from the skipper was I had to write my own 
commanding officer's comments for the mishap report. So it's just like, Will Johnson's the biggest idiot I've ever met in my life. I don't know who gave him the wings, but they should take him away because this guy's like, it was just like, I'm so bad, like blah, blah, blah. He didn't use any of it. It was 100% like just to make myself learn a lesson kind of deal, which was a great tactic, by the way. But it was just, it was hilarious how I was just like, don't let him fly. Accidents won't happen anymore. The skies will be safer. Sincerely, the captain. Like He's just like, all right, I think you learned a lesson. We're not going to use that. <laughs> like, okay. But yeah, so the big takeaway there was very, very much the same thing they teach everybody and reiterate no fast hands in the cockpit because i am yeah. positive if i had verbalized and said like hey i'm doing this does that sound right to you they'd have been like no idiot other one like oh good next page now we're good again and it would have been fine but i had to learn, learn that one the hard way wow i you yeah. know what? i really appreciate you telling us that um because a lot of the stuff as far as me as a crew member in the back like i know what you guys are doing up front i i know the lingo i know what's expected i like on your takeoff it's whatever takeoff oh, i'm gonna have a clear area i'm gonna have a running takeoff like i know the terms like it's yep. just, I've flown enough i know it so when you start talking up front it's interesting as <clears throat> there's the hey this is what we've got um confirm yep confirm okay and push and it's it's very it's it's interesting to listen to you say that because my the first thing that went through my head listening to you was like, okay, I'm gonna shut off this hydraulic pump. Is this confirmed? So you but you never got that. But I didn't, yeah, no. And the procedure doesn't say confirm, but very much like if you're flipping switches or pulling breakers, yeah. quick heads up to the buddy sitting next to you. Hey, I'm gonna do this. Is that right with you? All right. Like yeah. yeah. So interesting I do that now oh, wow yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 smart i'm just saying hey yeah it's it's a qa it's just a, it's exactly. just a, it's just a check yeah. it's that extra check what's wrong with that nothing yeah, yeah nobody nobody's get their feeling hurt by asking yeah no you know they might look at you and be like yes of course and you're like okay cool i'm on yeah, board. i was just checking to see if you do that's all yeah gosh what's wrong with you <laughs> yeah dang well oh, man well, I'm glad it all worked out, man. Thank you for sharing yeah, that Yeah, me one. too. <laughs> and, yeah. and their spouses. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Right on. We're going to divert real quick to thank our sponsors. Breeze Eastern. For over 80 years, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured battle-proven aerial rescue hoists, winches, and cargo hooks. Each product is carefully crafted to support demanding mission scenarios ensuring the job gets done safely and efficiently. Visit them today at www.breeze-eastern.com. All right, well, well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's go up to uh, North Bend, uh, yeah. which is Oregon. So Coos Bay, Oregon. That's right. Now, it's like Kodiak Light. Kodiak. <laughs> it is, you man. Do have, you have some gnarly weather. Uh, yeah. There's gnarly fog. The waves are insane. Yeah, it's the Pacific Northwest, and it is PNW at its there. finest. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Yep. So, um, I'm gonna read you. You earned yourself a little letter of accommodation, which is super fun. I'm very excited to read this. But are there any other ones you want to talk about while you're in North Bend that stand out to you before I get into this one? I think this is a good one to do. Okay. okay All, All right. right. <laughs> in that case. Let me read this. And I am so excited about reading this. It's going to be so much fun. And everybody that's listening, you're going to understand as I get through this. <laughs> I'm very excited to hear the uh, the overall story as well, just so you know. Oh, of course. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. 
on 05 March 2015. Subject, letter accommodation. I note with pride and am pleased to commend you on your performance of duty while serving as aircraft commander aboard Coast Guard 6537 at Coast Guard Sector North Bend, Oregon on 09 August 2014. You and your crew launched in response to the sinking of the charter fishing vessel G-Spot, 27 miles west of Slits Bay, Oregon. The G-Spot, capsized with five persons on board in 10-foot seas, 35-knot winds, and 55-degree water. Only receiving a mayday call in a latitude position, you had no way of knowing the nature of their distress. Battling gale force winds on the 90 nautical mile flight from North Bend, you coordinated a triage plan with Astoria's Coast Guard helicopter 6035 and station Depot Bay's motor lifeboat 47272 in the event of multiple survivors. But consolidating communications of all assets to 21A, you greatly assessed the un the unified search effort. 6035 from Astoria received coordinates from the emergency position indication radio beacon reported locating the G-spot and began recovering three people clinging to the capsized hull. Arriving on scene two minutes behind the 6035, you expanded the search by establishing communications with four nearby Good Samaritan vessels. The fishing vessel Miss Raven reported recovering a fourth person in the water, which that survivor stated there were a total of five people on board. Further efforts to locate the last survivor were hindered by steep waves and whitecaps, but your crew spotted the fifth person in the water a quarter mile north of the wreckage. You then beckered the nearby fishing vessel Affair to pull him in aboard and make preps to hoist the survivor. You expertly maneuvered the aircraft to hoist down through fishing rods, outriggers, and antennas to execute a safe recovery of the hypothermic survivor while a 15-foot shark circled behind the vessel. You then diverted the survivor to the helicopter pad at Newport Samaritan Hospital, saving one life. You are commended for your outstanding performance of duty. By your meritorious service, you have upheld the highest traditions of the United States Coast Guard. Well, that's freaking awesome and super hilarious. I mean, seriously. Oh, yeah. The G-Spot, the Affair, the Miss yeah. Raven. Seriously? That, it that really happened, sounds... too. That's the crazy part. <laughs> yeah. This is all true. Oh, my gosh. I love the name yeah. of Vessels. I love it. Uh, and... Oh, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, that was a fun case from, from start to finish to the award ceremony. Like it was, it was just a good time that kept on giving. Oh my gosh. That is hilarious. All right. So run us through. You've got uh, a distress call. Mayday comes over the radio and you guys get yeah. launched. Yeah. So we get launched. Um, I want to say Wes Jones might've been the co-pilot. I can't remember for sure, but we're, we're at a North Bend. Um, Newport usually has a helicopter, but for some reason they weren't covered that day. So we had to launch out of North Bend. Like it says, it's a 90 minute trek or sorry, 90 mile trek. And again, 65 doesn't have like the biggest fuel tanks on earth. So that's, that's putting you pretty much towards the, uh, the limits of your functional operating range, because if you go any further, you don't get a whole lot of time to actually do anything on scene. So 
90 minutes out. And then on the way there, we were talking to the 60 coming down from Astoria. In this case, like you, you probably couldn't have plotted a more on the borderline between us and Astoria case. So they beat us there, but like a minute and a half or something. It was super close. Um, so Darn it. Nate and hate. I know. Yeah. And, and I honestly think they, they had the tailwind, which is what really screwed us over. So they so found they got, a G spot first. They did. Yeah, that, I know. Yeah. <laughs> the award, the award doesn't touch on that. Not so important fact, but oh, it, was, it, was a, it was the team effort. We all had to find it together. Yeah. Oh my God. So, so they got on scene and immediately found a couple of survivors there in the water. Um, we we made a, a call on Channel 16, the Marine Distress Channel, for like any boats in the area that can assist kind of a deal. And a couple of them came over and started looking right. So there were a fair amount of folks and eyes looking. But like it says in there, the wind was so much that there were just white caps galore. So if, if any of you not familiar with maritime search, like the, the more ocean spray and white caps there are, the more difficult it is to see anything that stands out because it just looks like everything stands out. So yeah, we were looking for totally. a head poking out of the water in a bunch of white caps. Unfortunately, ended up finding the last guy. Like the 60 picked up, I think the first three or four straight from, I think they picked them up from the water and then picked one guy up from a boat that had already picked another survivor out. And then we found the last guy, told the uh, the affair to go over there and pick him up and they did. And then we had to pick him up off the affair. And like I said, like it was, it was just a charter fishing vessel that had thrown all the rods in the holders, not... I think they pulled their lines out of the water, but there were still rods sticking up everywhere. So a lot of obstructions on the deck. This thing's not huge, so it's not the best hoisting platform anyway, but we were able to get the basket down there, threw in the basket, picked them up. But I remember as we got close to the boat, like the mechs in the back, like, all right, forward and right 15, forward and right 10, forward and right five. And I'm like, there's a big shark in the water back there. Like, I want to make sure we don't accidentally clip the side of the boat and dump this basket back in the water with the guy. I think he'll appreciate not swimming with the shark. So we, we fortunately did not put him back in the water. We got him out and put him back in the helicopter and took him straight to the hospital. But yeah, it was it was a exciting case with hilarious nomenclature. Oh my gosh, I love it. Yeah. The greatest part is that you can't make that up. That's that was no, all real. No, no, like yeah. Who names their boat the G spot? I mean, really? Well, I mean that that's a hundred percent a thing a vessel owner would do. Like if you're if you're gonna yeah. spend. $180,000 on your fancy fishing boat. Like that, that's the name you'll give it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> well, time. well, thank, thank you for sharing that one. Of um, course, man. Yeah. It, hilarious. I absolutely love it. And congratulations to you and the crew, including the 860 Thanks. that came down. Everybody yeah, we'll did. give them credit too. They know. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Found the G spot first. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh, so funny. All right. Uh, I will bring you to Alaska because you do have a rescue in Alaska that I want to talk about, or we can stay in North Bend for a little bit longer. Up to you. Oh, if you're cool, I'll stay in North Bend a little bit longer because this one is a, a little more interesting and it has another one of those good lessons learned kind of deals. Um, Again, flying out of North Bend, not Newport. We were actually oncoming Newport crew. Um, the way that we used to work it back then was it was a 24-hour duty in Newport. So you'd leave to go up there around noon on the first day, stay in Newport. You'd like high-five the offgoing crew as they were heading back at the same time. Stay up there 24 hours. And then midday the next day, you'd fly south and the other crew would fly north. And that's how we covered it. 
So we were waiting to take off to go back up north. There was not an off-going crew coming from there due to some reason. So it was just us. And right as we were like 10 minutes after takeoff, they called and told us, hey, got a report of a uh, a logger injured about 15 miles east of Newport. And that area of Oregon is definitively remote. It's It's a lot of cities and stuff on the coast. But as soon as you go like more than 10 miles inland, it's rugged. It is forested trees hills mountains steep cliffs like it's it's america rugged outdoors at its finest but it's it's pretty harsh and there's a lot of logging that goes on up there so um, one of the tracks of land on the side of this mountain up there somewhere loggered um really messed his leg up he, he mangled his leg to, and i don't remember if he got it caught in a piece of machinery or what but it was it was a very like this guy may very likely bleed out before you guys even get there but head up there we're like all right well we don't have a litter with us or any of that stuff because that's all in Newport. So we had to make our plan, which was we're going to fly to Newport, hot gas, get a litter, and then truck it on up there and see what we can do. So as we're doing that, we find out that um, the local air ambulance has already flown up there and landed on the ridge top. The fire rescue is on scene and they're trying to get the guy um, up to the top of the hill with the rope system but it's so steep, it's just crazy slow going. So they're not sure they're able to even get them up the hill because it's just such steep terrain. So that's why they called us. They're like, hey, helicopter would be a lot easier and quicker. P.S. This guy is like actively dying. Like, all right, so wow. no pressure, but let's get up there. So we get our gas, we get the thing. We we head out and um, on the way up there, we're making our plan for, hey, how do we want to do this? Off to the Southwest is clearly a bunch of bad weather that's moving in towards us. At the time that we were first getting on scene, it was cloudy, but it wasn't terrible. But there was very much like a, a rain cell that was heading our way and would probably be there within the next 10 to 25 minutes. So what we ended up talking about was like, hey, we, we can first see how much power we've got as we kind of come into a high hover over the vicinity of the guy. We don't want to be right over him first, but let's get down in the vague vicinity of that ridge line. Park it in like 150 foot hover, see what our powers look like. So we do that and we can't even hover yet because we, we just filled up on gas. We're like, all right, well, step one, let's go dump some gas. So we flew off in the woods, dumped some gas, came back over, high hover again. It's it's pulling into the yellow kind of a deal, but we're, we're able to do it. But at this point, the storm's gotten a lot closer. Like, all right, well, this this positioning kind of stinks. Let's Let's take a look around somewhere else. And let's also set a limit. Or no, we hadn't said the limit yet. We said, let's just position somewhere else to see if we can go around. So we go forward and do a big giant clockwise um, turn around the hill that this guy's on. And in the process of crossing the top of the ridge to the hill, I, in my side of the aircraft, start to go into the cloud a bit so that like looking, looking left, I'm looking kind of up because we're in a steep right turn. I can, now I'm seeing into the cloud. Joe, the yeah. other pilot, Joe White, solid dude. He's flying. He's like, Joe, down. So, okay, so he, he drops us down, and we don't go into the cloud. Like, okay, that was that was too close for comfort because we don't want to be going inadvertently into the clouds up here in the mountains. So, yeah, if this cloud gets below the ridge line, we're not going to do this hoist because that means it's coming down. And this guy is currently about 150 feet below the ridge line. But if I'm parked in a hover here, the last thing I want to do is go inadvertent IMC in the middle of a committed hoist with a swimmer down there, and yeah. then all of a sudden we all die. So we, we set our limit there. Like, we can't do that. Okay. So we position ourselves again. 
look up and I'm talking within like four or five minutes, treetops at the top are no longer visible. We're like, all right, well, we set our limit. Let's not move it. Tell you what, let's go over here. We'll find, there's a, a lot of clearings where they do logging. So there was a clearing. We went ahead and just landed in the woods there. We radioed the ground party. We're like, hey, weather's not looking great for us. We'll give it another five or 10 minutes to see if it stops and picks back up. But if it gets too low, we're not a good asset anyway. And also we still need to get out of here. And if it gets too low, that becomes a problem. We're like, okay, Roger that. In that case, we'll we'll keep trying to bring them up the hill. So we waited five or 10 minutes sitting there in the clearing. And sure enough, it just kept coming down, coming down. And eventually covered up where they were operating. We're like, that could have been us. Like, good thing we set that limit. So anyway, wow. guys, we're going to call it. Let's go back home. So we ended up going back home. Everything was fine with us. It Like years later, I tried to find much info as I could about like, did the guy make it? I couldn't find anything that clearly said it. But I think he did. There was, um, I know for a fact they ended up getting him to the top of the ridge with the rope rescue team. The weather cleared up. Reach helicopter that was up there was able to load him and take him off to Corvallis or whatever hospital they took him to. And I think I heard later that he ended up surviving. Nice. But either way, like the, the the takeaway very much for us was like, this is why you set limits early. Like I I absolutely could have seen a scenario where without having set any personal limits or internal limits, we could have been like, hey, let's let's try this and then we'll just see what happens next. And then we try that and like, oh, this doesn't work. So let's let's move it to this and let's and just keep finding another reason to try harder and try harder until you end up finding yourself in a cloud 40 feet off the side of a mountain and you can't go anywhere else. So it was a really valuable lesson and, and I'm I'm glad we made the right choice the first time and not <laughs> not the last thing going through my head was that was a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I like that. And I, I say it here more oftentimes than not, their emergency is not our emergency. And as soon as you Absolutely. make it our emergency, it, now you've got more than one person in trouble. So yep. it, it sucks and I hate to say it, but uh, you know, we're, we're coming to help until we can't help. And, and that's, exactly. that's the bottom line. So, yep. And like we talked earlier about the rescue swimmers having that, like, put me in coach mentality. The pilots are just as bad, like junior co-pilots and stuff. They're like, <laughs> they called us. That must mean we're the last hope. Like, no, dude, like there are a lot of places that they call the Coast Guard first because we're the easy button. Like, is yeah. it easier to call the Coast Guard who just comes up here for free because it's taxpayer dollars or call the rope rescue team from the other county over? And it's going to take them like an hour and 20 minutes to get here. So the helicopter's right. fast. Let's just call them first. If we say no, they might just call the rope rescue team. They'll come, they'll pick him up. Everything is like hunky-dory. Guy still lives. Yeah. Nobody gets hurt. So right. be, being able to make that decision based not just on the uh, the belief or the assumption that it's us or this person dies, but more of the holistic, like, well, let's see if there's a better asset. Or even if there's not, maybe we shouldn't do this anyway because it's putting us too much of an hazard. So. Right. Now, and, and had the weather cooperated with you, you probably could have gotten in there without an issue and done yeah, a Yeah, absolutely. And- Hold them out, no yeah, problem. If if the clouds have been more consistent and just stayed 100 feet above the ridge line, like yeah, we could have done that, yeah. but it, it just wasn't our day. Yeah, uh, you know I like that. I like that decision. Um, not, Me not too. That I had anything <laughs> I'm here to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it brings up such a great conversation because it it's it's that one. It's the full crew. Everybody talks about it. Hey, this is our yeah. limit. This is the bottom line. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I'm. I like what you said there as well. Like having a helicopter go in, you're right. It is much faster 
than having to pull a full crew from someplace else and you get five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people to have yeah. to hike in, set up a rope system. By the time all that's said and done, you could have gone in with a helicopter, hoisted them out, and been done. All of like exactly. 20 minutes. Yeah. So yeah. I I get both sides, but I like the limits. You gotta have your limits. So well done, Will. Thanks, man. Yeah. And, man, and that crew I really is, need to fly with you too. a lot. Just throw that. It'd out be fun, man. I know. I yeah. tell everybody, if you want to fly with me three miles or more offshore, give me a call. 100 percent I'll be there. Okay. <laughs> People always want to fly free on the Coast Guard helicopter. That's all you got to do. You just got to three miles offshore because then you're outside the state boundary. So yeah. once you hit federal waters, give me a shout. We'll come pick you up. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Uh, what yeah. if I just start with you on shore? I mean, that. That just well, sounds like, my, you know, I... that, that takes way more permission slips. And, yeah. <laughs> so if I just paddle out, hey, Will, exactly. Will, come yeah. get me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Man, that's good stuff. Good knowledge. Yeah, and I, yeah, I like thanks, that. Man. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah thank you. Um, all right. I'm going to bring us up to Alaska. You're currently in it. Alaska. I am. Yes. You, Working... you can tell behind me by the wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so an Alaska wall. Perhaps you've not I, seen it before. Yeah. It looks like the same Alaska wall I when I was there. Yeah. Hey. Look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were, uh, now were you up here in Kodiak or were you in Astoria? I was. No, I was in Kodiak. Okay, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I had a blast up there. Um I it, was it, on it the 60 awesome. side. So yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. can't all be awesome. No. <laughs> well, you you'd like it now. It's a it's a it's a split shop or not it's not a split shop anymore so all the rescue swimmers are called on both airframes oh nice um yeah i was required to be called on the 65 but there was still alpat up there which is what you're in right now yeah um which is alpat i do you get what's the definition of it it's arctic blah 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 yeah it, it's a, a supporting shipboard operations in the Bering Sea and Arctic. So we, yeah. we put an H65 on the back of Coast Guard cutters that go up and operate in the Bering Sea 365 days a year. Yeah. Nice. Um one of the cool things about it is like and, and I mean like it was years when I was up there I, and heck I got there in 2000. So 2000 to 2003 is when I was there and well, I would have to fly on all three airframes so the 60 65 nice. and the C130 I got qualified on all of them but for the most part, my primary job was 860, and that was that was just it. But um, when you goes up, when you guys went out recently, you yep. were on the back of one of the cutters, and you yep. guys got a call. Yeah, yeah, we were uh, we were doing one of our patrols. We were actually shore based that time. Um, if the cutter either breaks down or has a scheduling issue or something like that, instead of flying off the boat, we'll go to Dutch Harbor, which is. If you're familiar with the big tail that is the Aleutian Island chain in Alaska, Dutch Harbor is kind of in the middle-ish in there somewhere. So it's a deep water port. So a lot of big boats can come in out of there, including the Coast Guard boat. So we fly off the boat and stay there a lot of the time. So we're staying in Dutch and we got called for a medevac in um, Akun, which is a clinic at a fish processing facility on the next island northeast up the chain of alaska so dutch harbor is on the island of unalaska and then the next island up in the chain is where this fish processing facility is um it's positioned in a box canyon um so it, it's it's a cove so i mean there's ocean all the way up in the canyon there 
but it's really, really, really tall mountains. I think it's like a 2,200 foot tall peak on one of the mountains surrounding it on three sides. And the other side goes out to this weird um, strip of water between the island that the fish cannery is on and another island over it. There's no airport on this island. If they want to go anywhere from the fish cannery, they have to take either a helicopter across that little channel over to the actual airport, which is really weird because there's nothing else there besides the airport. They're not even on the same island, though. Wow. Or take a boat and get over there. We get called there quite a bit, as we do with a lot of the rural kind of fish um, processing plants and the rural uh, native Alaska communities up here because they don't have a lot of healthcare options. It's it's if anything, a small clinic that can slap a Band-Aid on it, take a blood pressure, give you some basic meds. But if it's anything requiring more care than that, they got to fly you out. So we got called for a guy that was at the fish processing plant who was having some sort of internal issues going on. Like his uh, blood pressure was tanking, like he was doing very poorly. And he, he wasn't wasn't with it too much, a little ultra level of consciousness, and I think, and, and wasn't super great. So we got called out there to pick him up. The weather had been crap for the day or two leading up to this back up just a bit part of your orientation before you get the stand duty flying down there is flying into a lot of these commonly used places so you can lay eyes on it once in decent weather before you have to go in there and like the dark and stormy kind of thing it took yeah. me four times like on four different events to try to get in there to actually see it once because it's just such bad weather in that straight or sorry in that channel there between these two islands so expecting that, because that's what we've been seeing in Dutch for the, the couple of days leading up to it, we were going through all of our risk analysis, like, is, is he really bad? Or is he just like, man, kind of bad? They're like, no, he's really bad. Like, okay, well, the weather's still pretty skosh. And there's no adequate weather forecasting in a lot of these places. So it's not like we really have a good beat on what the weather's going to look like an hour from now or anything. You just know what it is now, and that's it. So we decided, like, all right, yeah, we're going to go and do it. So the crew, we all agreed that this this is a high, high gain mission, so it warrants the at least medium risk that we were going to take. So we launch out, we go around the corner, and it's just perfect weather. Like, oh, it, it, nice. it was very localized on Dutch. The weather just sucked. And then we launch out, and all of a sudden, it was like, oh, yeah, this is no sweat, man. So the crew's up there. <laughs> there were there were still low clouds here and there, but it was, it was nothing significant at all. So we finally wrap around the island, fly in there, fly into the, the, the cove, see the the place we're going to land it's it's a boat ramp there's there's no helipad per se there's a clearing in one field that's further down ideally they'll just land on top of the boat ramp because that's closest to where the clinic is and then they bring him over like a little golf cart or something like that so yeah we set up for a landing we go to land on the helipad we sit down we start to roll backwards immediately because i forgot to set the parking brake so <laughs> quick set the parking brake real quick <laughs> we we didn't put the tail in the water so that was good and we sat there and, yeah yeah <laughs> just clean it off no big deal <laughs> so they bring him around throw him in the back um we take off and again all the flying is benign but the swimmer in the back he starts throwing the, the med uh the med pack on him to take vitals and stuff and he's like yeah guys uh you can hurry it up he's he's not doing good at all I'm like oh man like, okay so we we truck it in we ended up doing a hot offload on the ramp to life med which is the fixed wing ems or airplane that we put them in that then takes them from Dutch Harbor to like Anchorage or somewhere with island medical care. So yeah. because he was doing so poorly in route, we just, we didn't even shut down. We just kicked him out and put him in the plane and the plane taxied around behind us and took off and it worked out. But yeah, it was wow. just a regular old day in Dutch Harbor, Alaska for us. <laughs> you know, I, I remember going to all those little fishing villages from time to time. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It just <laughs> whether you're flying in just to do a little something, something, or you're going to pick somebody up at a random clinic. And yeah, yeah, yeah. man, nice. Yeah. Landed on a boat ramp. Forgot to set the parking brake. Awesome. Well, you know. Well done, Will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do what I can. Keep it sporty. Make sure the folks in the back are still awake. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 okay, we're good, we're good. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and, and just telling these stories. Um, yeah, man, thanks I for go- having me. I'm looking forward to seeing you. Heck yeah! Oh, we're going to HAI together. We get to have a you beer down I, there. That is the oh, plan. It's gonna be fun. And you're speaking down there, aren't you? I am. Yeah, they're gonna let me talk. They're gonna be microphone and everything. It'd be crazy. Um, doing a class on dress for distress. How to be found after a ditching or emergency landing event, which is a, a, a thing that I've just started to talk about and do because it occurred to me, weirdly as this is, not everybody who flies aircraft get the level of survival and rescue training that we do. Like, no, they don't. We, we, yeah, I know. Like it, it, <laughs> I take it for <laughs> granted. And it just occurred to me last year at HAA, actually, I was listening to somebody talk and they were talking about an EMS incident they had while they were flying um helicopter air ambulance where they had a do an emergency landing in a rural field out in the middle of nowhere and it was after an ice storm had passed and nobody was going to be able to come get them on the road they landed on because all the roads were so icy that that was why they were doing the patient transfer in the first place was there were no ambulances that could drive anywhere and the guy talking was mentioning like yeah like none of us were dressed right for this but my nurse was wearing crocs like i'm just wearing my regular old flight suit and i was just like why would you do that like Maybe, I guess maybe most folks don't always carry all the extra stuff we do or, or always plan for the environment stuff. And there have been a couple other times, both up here and then also in my career, where people clearly haven't planned for like the worst case scenario. And it doesn't always take bringing a whole extra backpack. You, you swimmers in your fancy inland SAR ensembles and all this stuff, like you don't need all that stuff, right? There's some basic things that you can bring with you or or things that you can plan with, like telling somebody where you're going that even if you just do a little bit can make my job trying to find you so much easier so like we talked before with that sea die marker boom found it right away no sweat because he had this little tiny pack with him folks that set off emergency beacons like boom found you right away because you had it it worked right the batteries were charged and you registered it the way you're supposed to so a lot of little easy stuff that makes it so much more likely for me to be able to come pick you up out of the water that if you don't do it Man, I'm literally looking for your head, which is about basketball sized, possibly at night, possibly in the middle of nowhere where there's no light. And I'll tell you, the odds aren't good. Like, so help, <laughs> help me help you. Yeah. A basketball in the ocean. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're asked to do all the time. Every day, man. Every yep. day. I, so I like that. that. Yeah, I'm I'm you know what I'm gonna try to make it over. I'd like to listen to that one and uh and hang out with you. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Just to I love keep it, man. No heckling, that's all I ask. Don't be the guy in the back like no, that's stupid. No, no, I would I... never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I will absolutely not promise that I won't do I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. I won't exactly. do that too well. No, that's good. No, I, man. Uh yeah, you'll have to let let me know. And actually what I'll do is I'll post it so anybody that's that's listening if they're gonna be at Heli Expo twenty twenty four um for sure well it'd be it'd be fun lecture to listen to um absolutely man good so one more question before i let you go late on you've me you've done an amazing time in the coast guard how many years have you done so far 
Uh, 20 now, 20 and a half. Wow. Oh my gosh. You're, you're like, you might be looking at retirement soon. Oh, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. All right. We won't, we won't let anybody know, especially the detailer. Okay. Just throw that out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm waiting (laughs) to see what they have planned for me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So a little bit of, or since you've been in volunteer and fire department, right up into making it to OCS and then flying and your 20 plus year career in the U S coast guard, what advice would you pass on to everybody? Oh man. Um, it's two things. One, pick something you like doing and try to do that. Like whether it's a job, whether it's a, a a particular, um, enlisted rate, like which a school you want to go to. There are so many different options where folks, try to find out what they want to do and they feel like they're making a decision that they got to stick with for life, but they base it off of perception. Like find somebody who does the thing that you're interested in and see if you can try it out or see if you can watch what they do on, on the job or see if you can like shadow them for a day or something like that. Like, and then if you find that thing that you're like, man, this is, this is my jam. This is what I really want to do. Keep trying to do it. Like, like, like I had done, like we talked earlier you didn't get picked up the first time or the second time or the third time. Like if it's truly your passion, keep going for it. Cause if you settle, it's just going to be miserable later. Like I'm not saying your passions can't change and absolutely go, go wherever your heart leads you in those kind of situations, but try not to settle when you don't have to. Nice. So, nice. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Right on. Right on. Is that is that one or is that both of them? Because you said two. That was one. I did say two. The other one, um, have fun. Like, I mean, do do, <laughs> yes. do the things that are enjoyable, not just in your work, but take all the options that people throw at you. Like going on to play. The reason I picked flying 65s is because going on a Coast Guard cutter sounded pretty cool. I didn't want to do it forever, but I wanted <laughs> to have the opportunity to do it every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> So uh, I picked 65 <laughs> units because I wanted to try it and it sounded fun and it's been fun. Um, getting stationed up here in Alaska. My wife, my wife, active duty Coast Guard also. Shout out, Anna. Love you. We nice. wanted to go to Alaska because it sounded fun. And we she's she's normally an attorney and I'm a pilot and those don't co-locate really easily. But this opportunity opened up. We're like, hey, we talked about it. You want to do Alaska? Like, yeah, man, let's give it a shot. And it's been fun. So, man, use use the opportunities for fun where they come up because... They're, they're not always there and you regret not taking them. Embrace the stock. That's what I say. That too. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of that up here. Especially, especially call me back in about a month and a half. Yeah. 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 When it's like, like never sunny and yeah. cold all the time. And you're like, Oh my gosh, yeah. what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. We're already at the point now where I get, I drive to work. It's dark. I drive home. It's dark. Like, no, oh, yep. it's a nice day yep. while I was in the office. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. oh dude. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me and telling these stories. Thanks for having I, me, man. I love it, man. I love it. I look forward to seeing you at Heli Expo. Um, when we get down there, we're gonna definitely getting together for a beer. So absolutely, buddy. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I love it, and I'll see you down there, bud. Done. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Go. Now it's time for me to pull chocks and take off. But before I go, I'm always looking for the memorable rescues that people have done. If you have one that you're willing to share or know somebody who has a story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love to highlight it here at The Real Rescue. For everybody that is standing by for that SAR alarm, remember, 
Those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. So until next time, fly safe and swim hard. Thank you for joining me today here at the Real Rescue Podcast, powered by Vertical Helicast. We'd also like to say thank you to our sponsors for this episode. Breeze Eastern. For over 80 years, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured battle-proven aerial rescue hoists, winches, and cargo hooks. Each product is carefully crafted to support demanding mission scenarios, ensuring the job gets done safely and efficiently. Visit them today at www.breeze-eastern.com. Hey, rule number 11, ask yourself, when was the last time you saved a life? This rule is here for one reason, and it's to keep ourselves in check. I've specifically been on both sides of this rule. After you've been doing this job for many, many years, you get promoted up into management positions or you move out of the operational side of things. Maybe you're in training, maybe you're flying a desk, whatever that might be. You're making the decisions that impact that of operations. They call it the practice of medicine for a reason. They are practicing to save lives. They update procedures. They update equipment. They update medications. There's constantly update and training to get the newest, latest, and greatest. Rescue is no different. There's always new techniques coming out. There's always new gear and equipment coming out. And we need to make sure we are up on all of that. So for those of us that are in training or in some sort of management position where we are overseeing the operation side, before you start making your decisions, make sure you ask yourself, when was the last time you saved a life?